All right, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. If you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 1015. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Our, our, as you know, we're in a series through the book of 1 Peter called Following Christ in a Fallen World. And I like to remind us of our series, um, you know, because that is one of the really overall themes of the, of the book of 1 Peter, is that we are exiles. We're exiles in this fallen world because God has graciously saved us. He has rescued us from bondage to this fallen world. And as it says in Colossians, he's transferred us from the domain of darkness and into his beloved kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. And so that's why Peter describes us as exiles, because this fallen world is no longer our home. But yet, but yet God has left us here to serve him and bring glory to him by living distinct lives. And that's why we're following Christ in a fallen world. And so we always want to be thinking, how is he calling us to be distinct? How can we demonstrate that we are a follower of Christ? And in, in the book of 1 Peter, ever since chapter 2, verse 13, Peter's been exhorting us as Christians to glorify God by submitting to the authority that he places over us. That's how we can be distinct. By submitting to the authority that he places over us. We've seen that we're to submit to our civil authorities. We are to submit to what we would call in our present day our employers. And now as we come to chapter 3, Peter describes another realm where Christians glorify God by willingly submitting to the authority that God places over us. And that's in our marriages. In our marriages. So our passage again is 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll be considering verses 1 through 6 today. So I'd ask the congregation to please stand in honor of God's word. I'll go ahead and read our text this morning. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Well, if you were to survey a hundred people today, and ask them this question. What makes a woman beautiful? What kind of answers do you think you would get? I imagine you'd get a variety of answers, wouldn't you? There would be many responses dealing with her physical appearance. Her, her eyes, her hair, her figure, her smile. Right? Those might be some answers. There'd be several answers that would have to do with her character. Yes, that's what makes a woman beautiful, her, her, her confidence, her kindness, her intelligence, her sense of humor. You would probably hear 
very few answers like her love for the Lord or her holiness. But out of those 100 people surveyed, how many do you think would respond that what makes a, a woman beautiful is her respect for her husband or her loving support of her husband's leadership? I doubt we'd hear very many answers like that, would we, in our society today. And yet, in our passage today, that's what God says is beautiful. So the title of the sermon today is The Beauty of a Submissive Wife. The Beauty of a Submissive Wife. I want to consider 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 under four headings, all having to do with submission. And so you have the outline in your, in your notes. And uh, of course, I'm not on a soapbox or anything. That's the good thing about preaching through books of the Bible, right? You can't be accused of that. This is just our next text. And uh, today we're covering the wives, but, but uh, let everyone be, be warned that next week we'll, we'll be on verse 7, Lord willing, and, and so our attention will turn to the husbands. So, that, so, ladies, our turn is coming. But today, our text is, is verses 1 through 6. And obviously, if you're married this morning, these verses are immediately applicable to you. But if you're single, don't, don't just... Assume, well, this, there's nothing in this message for me, because that's not true. It's important that everyone understand God's design and purpose for marriage. Again, some people who are single may one day be married and need to live this out in their own marriages. But whether or not you ever become married, we know all people, all members of the body of Christ are admonished to be teaching and, and encouraging one another in the truth. So even as a single believer, you have an opportunity to encourage your, your married brothers and sisters in Christ with the um, truths that you learn from God's word. Matter of fact, Titus chapter 2 verse 4 speaks of the important ministry that older women in the church have in teaching the younger women to be godly wives and mothers. So we all need this message today. Before we get into the specifics of 1 Peter 3... And, and start going through the headings of the outline, I, I first uh, want to take a step back and just consider the creation and the design of marriage, since that's what we'll be talking about today. So Genesis chapter 2 records that, and jumping right into the, the, the creation account here, right? Genesis 2 tells us that after uh, God, after um, Adam had named all the animals that God had created, it was discovered, it was, it was obvious that there was no suitable helper for Adam. That Adam needed a companion. Added, Adam needed someone like him created in God's image, right? The animals weren't made in the image of God, but Adam was. He needed, Adam needed someone with whom he could fellowship on his own level. Someone with whom together they could reflect God which is what it means to be made in the image of God, that to get together they could reflect God by filling the earth and subduing it. Adam couldn't do that himself. He needed a helper. And so God created woman out of Adam's rib and brought her to Adam in what is the first marriage ceremony we read at the end of Genesis 2. Adam named her Eve and rejoiced that at last someone, uh, that at last that he, God had made someone as a perfect 
counterpart to him. Remember he said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then the Bible says in that next verse, the last verse of Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And there we see God's creation and design of marriage. There in the Garden of Eden, God instituted marriage for all mankind from that time forth. And so that's, again, that's where we need to start, isn't it? Because that reminds us this important truth that marriage is not man's idea. God created marriage. And therefore, he um, is the one who tells us how it should work. He's the one who tells us what it is. God's word teaches that marriage is to be a lifelong priority commitment between a man and a woman. That's what marriage is. And we also see from God's word that God designed marriage with a specific ordering of roles. And that's really what we're considering today. Those roles in marriage. The man and woman are equally made in the image of God. But they have different roles in marriage as they together govern the creation and fill it with other image bearers to the glory of God. So what are those roles? Well, what we see in Scripture is that God created the man to lead, protect, and provide for those under his leadership, specifically his family, his wife. And he created the woman then to come alongside and help the man by supporting him and encouraging him in his leadership. Without, again, thinking back to the the first man and woman, right? And Eve was called Adam's helper. And that's what she did. She supported him, enabling him to fulfill uh, the mission that God had given him. Without Eve, Adam is lacking. (laughs) The woman is who made it possible for him to do what he could never do alone. And so that's the exalted calling of, of Eve and all wives And we could even say that's their exalted privilege, is to be that loving support to their husbands. All right, so with that brief foundation laid, now let's dig into our text of 1 Peter 3. And our first heading, and I'm I'm actually making a change to our first heading, I want to call it nature of submission. I decided just to to work through the, the text exactly as it's laid out. So we'll, we'll see some other features along the way, but first let's just talk about, from verse 1, what is submission? The nature of submission. Verse 1 says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. Notice the verse begins with likewise. Like I said earlier, just, we've, we've seen this pattern ever since the middle of chapter 2. Just as all Christians are called to submit to their civil authorities and employers, likewise, God's word says, wives... You be subject to your own husbands, not to all men, to your own husbands. Be subject means to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another. Submission is a voluntary decision on the part of the wife to place herself under her husband's authority and to allow him to lead and to support him in that leadership. It's a disposition. To recognize and honor her husband's responsibility to lead the home. So the wife submits to her husband recognizing, again, uh, integral in the idea of submission is is order. 
And, and so the wife submits, recognizing God has established a certain order to things. A certain order to society, a certain order in the home. He's given order within the family, and he's given the leadership role to the husband. So again, I know in our society today, authority and submission, those sound like bad words, right? Like, ugh, people chafe at those. And we'll, we'll talk about why that is in a moment. But, but understand, authority and submission are good because they're actually rooted in creation. And I want to show you in just a moment, they're rooted in the Trinity itself. But first, I do need to give this important um, caveat, I guess I would say. Authority and submission, while authority and submission are good and they are part of God's design, we know that abusive authority does exist because of sin. Right? That's what sin does, doesn't it? It always perverts and, and, and distorts everything that God has made as good. So while we're talking about submission today, it's important to understand that as a woman, if you're ever in an abusive relationship, you need to get help. You need to contact the proper authorities. You need to come to the elders. Because that is not God's design. And that's not what Peter's talking about here in this passage today. That's not what Scripture talks about when it lays out the roles Peter is talking about a non-abusive marriage. Okay? So, like I said earlier, authority and submission are good because they are rooted in creation. And not creation only, but they're rooted in the Trinity. I'd encourage you to write this verse down. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Listen to what Paul says there. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So again, we see everyone, there's an ordering to everything, isn't there? There's submission even within the Godhead. And that's important for us to understand. The Godhead, there's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. But within those persons, they're all co-equally God, but they all have certain roles to play. Likewise, husbands and wives are equally made in the image of God, but they have different God-appointed roles in marriage. And so I would summarize those roles this way. God has given husbands the role of loving leadership. And God has given wives the role of loving support. And what's beautiful, as again, today we're focusing on wives, of course, right? And what's beautiful about that is a submissive wife actually, again, empowers her husband to fulfill his role. A submissive wife empowers her husband to pursue right behavior, to become the man that God wants him to be, to become the leader that God wants him to be. The wife actually helps him with that as she, that's what submission entails, is recognizing that and saying, I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. I want to come alongside and, and help you be the man that God's calling you to be. And what a blessing that is. Because us, us husbands need that help. So submission is a wife telling her husband, I believe in you and I am with you. How can I help you and support you being the leader that God is calling you to be? That's what the nature of submission is. Submission is not 
the, the wife being a doormat. It's not the wife has to be silent. No, the wives should have a voice in, in the family. A, a, a wise and loving husband, and we'll again see this next week, will want to hear the counsel and the, and the perspective of his wife, and she should feel free to give that. We know submission, uh, another distinction that Scripture has made all throughout. We've been highlighting this. Yes, we are to recognize the authority over us, and we are to obey them, except if they would ever lead us to sin. Right? We talked about that with the government. If the government ever tells you to sin, you, like the apostles, you have to say, we must obey God rather than men. And a, and a, a wife uh, may find herself in that position at some point as well and have to do that. So I'm, I brought up Genesis 2 um, with the creation account. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you just... Just so we understand why we need God's grace in this. <laughs> and you say, why doesn't this come easier, <laughs> right? If this is God's good design, well, we need to understand that, that, like I said, sin distorts God's good design. Sin is always working against God's good design. Sin brings pain into our relationships by disrupting the good way that God has designed um, family to be carried out so in Genesis chapter 3 right we have the Adam and Eve falling into sin and we have God God, uh, coming alongside confronting them and even uh, giving the the curses and look in Genesis 3 16 to the woman he said I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. That word desire is, that same word is used in the next chapter in Genesis 4, 7 to describe sin's desire to control Cain. So an effect of the fall is that wives are tempted with this sinful desire to control their husbands, to to, um, rebel against the, the order that God has created and designed. And then the other side of that coin is, because of the fall, husbands are tempted to sinfully rule over their wives in a domineering way. All right, that's what we see there. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so, as we talk about these roles and God's design, we know that sin is at work against us. But may we be reminded and praise God that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ has defeated sin. And so Peter is showing us in, in, in chapter 3 here how the gospel transforms sinful men and women. How Jesus is reversing the curse. And again, that's, what, that's why as we, we pray for God to continue to sanctify his church, continue to sanctify us, that we would be a display of his glory, a display of the power of Christ to reverse the curse of sin. Okay? So... The nature of submission is to provide loving support, to, to come alongside and empower and encourage your husband in um, the role that God has called him to, to fulfill as the leader of the home. Again, submission is rooted in God's good and wise authority. That's, that's another principle that we've been seeing throughout all this or been trying to emphasize. Whenever we talk about the authorities placed over us, we remember 
wait a minute, who's the ultimate authority? Who's the one who's put that authority over us? Who's the one that that put our, our civil leaders over us? Who's the one that gave me that boss or that teacher or that coach? Who's the one who has given me my husband? It's God. It's God. So by submitting to our authorities, we are ultimately submitting to God. And Paul says that explicitly in Ephesians 5.22 for wives. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So praise God, this isn't based on, well, does the husband deserve it or not? (laughs) Is, Is he being a great husband? No, either way, Husbands are called to come alongside and, and, and submit to their, or excuse me, wives are called to come alongside and submit to their husbands. And they can do so knowing, Lord, I'm doing this as an act of obedience to you. I, I trust you. You've given me my husband. And so I'm ultimately submitting to you. All right, so we've considered the nature of submission. Our second heading then is the power of submission. And this is, I'm, I, this is exciting. I want you to know that not only do we say, yes, the, a submissive wife is beautiful, but a submissive wife is powerful. God powerfully works through a submissive wife. And if you wanted to summarize this point, you could write next to it, you display the gospel before others. By being a submissive wife, you display the gospel before others. Look again at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Even if some do not obey the word, there Peter's referring to husbands who are not believers. Peter's used that phrase a few times, not obeying the word, to describe non-Christians. So, Some recipients of Peter's letter were uh, Christian wives who were married to unbelieving husbands. And we can kind of picture that scenario, right? Maybe two unbelievers were married to each other. Then, by God's grace, the gospel comes to the wife. And the wife responds, by God's grace, to the gospel. She becomes a Christian. She's a new creation, but her husband's still an unbeliever. So what should she do? You know, right, she's, she's on fire for the Lord. Now she's married to this man who, who doesn't love the Lord. I mean, should she leave him? Should she withdraw from him? Should she blaze her own trail in the marriage? Should she hammer him with the gospel every day to try to get to him to see the light? No. No. What Peter says, what God says through the apostle Peter is, be a godly wife to him. Love him and serve him. Keep submitting to him. Keep respecting him. Keep supporting and affirming his leadership, Christian wife. And as you do that, by God's grace, you will be displaying the gospel to him. Your life will be a living portrayal of the gospel to your husband. So don't berate him and complain about him not being a Christian. Don't withdraw from him and be repulsed by him because he's he's not a Christian. And as much as you want to see him come to faith in Christ, don't try to turn every conversation and and, and shoehorn in the gospel in every conversation. Don't do that, Peter says. He says, "Let let it be your behavior. Let it be your godly conduct. 
that he may be one without a word. Now, that doesn't mean the wife can never say a word about the gospel. In just a a few verses, down in 3.15, Peter's going to instruct all Christians to be ready to answer when people ask them for the reason for their hope. So the Christian wife should pray for God to be working in her husband's heart. Pray for an open door for the gospel. Pray that her husband will see Christ in her and maybe even ask her about her faith. But what we see from this passage is a submissive wife is a powerful picture of the gospel. And we, we understand why it's so powerful. Because like we just saw in Genesis 3, by nature, we all rebel against authority, don't we? By nature, wives are seeking to control their husbands. They're thinking, man, I could do this better than you, right? But when a wife, by God's grace, submits to her husband instead of trying to control him, when a wife loves and respects her husband instead of criticizing him, when a wife supports and affirms her husband's leadership instead of trying to just do her own thing thing and push him out of the way, that is a powerful testimony of the beauty and the uniqueness of Christ. Because it's Christ who's made the difference in her life to enable her to live that way. So by God's grace, the unbelieving husband may say something like, man, you know, I was skeptical of this Jesus thing at first, but I I have to admit, he has made a difference in her life. (laughs) I see see a, a kindness in her. I see a respect in her that is uncommon. I see a joy, a peace. I see something that I need in my life, he might say, by God's grace. God powerfully works through a wife's submission to her husband to display the gospel that he might be one to Christ. And notice Peter's instructions are for all wives, right? He says, you know, even, and then he kind of gives some details about, okay, if, if your husband's not a believer, this is what could happen. But he's, he's instructing all wives, so be encouraged Even if your husband is a Christian, you can still have a powerful impact on him and your family. By submitting to your husband, you are displaying the gospel to your family. We've already talked about how powerful it is that you're you're supporting your husband. You're encouraging him to be the man that God has called him to be. But you're also displaying the gospel to your kids, Christian wives. You are modeling to your daughter, as you, by God's grace, submit to your husbands, you are modeling to your daughters how they should relate to their future husbands. And you're being an example to your kids of trusting and obeying the Lord. And that's what we're going to see later in the passage. Wow, what what an important lesson that is in life, isn't it? To trust and obey the Lord. So wives, your Christian husband will be blessed by you as well as you, by God's grace, seek to live out God's design for you. You're displaying the gospel to the kids. You're displaying the gospel to those around you. And you are being a huge encouragement as you display the gospel and God's work in your life to your husband. For the man who is trying to lead, a wife's loving support is a wonderful and affirming response. It fills him with confidence. It fills him with the belief that by God's grace, I can lead this family because I've got my wife helping me, supporting me. So 
We've seen how powerful submission is, and now, thirdly, I want us to see the value of submission, how valuable it is. Peter sets up a contrast here in verses 3 and 4. He says to wives, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we kind of get a little window into the, the cultural context of Peter's day, don't we? In Peter's time, evidently the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that ladies would wear were fashionable ways to, to look good. Not much unlike today, right? And notice that Peter does not say that adorning yourself in this way is sinful. Rather, his point is that that should not be the adorning that women pursue the most. (laughs) That should not be your primary focus and pursuit because that beauty is going to fade over time. No matter how hard you try, right? Right? Instead, Peter says, Christian women should pursue a beauty that never perishes. He's talking about the beauty of submission, right? Which he describes here in verse 4 as a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, the word gentle there means humble as opposed to harsh. The word is sometimes translated meek, and it's used of Jesus himself, who said in Matthew eleven twenty nine. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle, isn't he, with us. He's not harsh with us, praise God. And so verse 4 says, wives, be that way by God's grace. Have a gentle and quiet spirit. The word quiet there is describing, it has the sense of a quietness of peace as opposed to the loudness of war. So, uh, you know, maybe a synonym could be uh, tranquil, but the idea is a quiet spirit means to have a calming presence. Remember the proverb says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs it up, doesn't it? And so Peter's saying, wives, don't pour fuel on the fire. I mean, you're married to a sinner, right? (laughs) even Christian husbands, right? And so, you know, there's going to be times where he's going to be grouchy. There's going to be times where he's going to be selfish. And, and don't pour fuel on the fire. But by God's grace, come with a gentle and quiet spirit, a wise and discerning spirit, we could add, you know? So, God calls wives to have a gentle and quiet spirit, to not be harsh, to be a calming influence on, on the home, rather than stoking the fires, so to speak. Now, again, a wife with a gentle and quiet spirit does not mean that silence. It doesn't mean she can't be talkative, right? Because I can imagine some ladies out here might be thinking, well, God made me an extrovert. Now what am I going to do, right? You know, I'm, I'm just not by nature one of those quiet, meek people. He's not saying that you uh, In other words, being talkative, being enthusiastic, being confident, that does not mean you can't fulfill this by God's grace. That's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about let your words be 
full of grace and seasoned with salt. May you be filled with the Spirit so that what comes out of your mouth are Christ-like, is Christ-like speech. Gentleness and quietness, notice, demonstrate strength and not weakness. Remember, Jesus said this of himself. And, and you know it takes, it takes more strength. Proverbs is, is full of that. Talking to men and women, right? Talking about, man, the, the man who can control himself is stronger than the man who can take a city or scale a wall. <laughs> because by nature, we, we all will just fly off the handle. By nature, we don't have control. By nature, we react. But man, when God's spirit has a hold of you, and you're able to return good for evil, or you're able to be a calming presence, that shows strength. That shows the power of Christ in you. But what we see also here, and I think this is so beautiful, (laughs) a gentle and quiet spirit is an imperishable beauty. See that? A a gentle and quiet spirit or a submissive wife is an imperishable beauty. It's a beauty that doesn't fade with time. So contrast that with physical beauty, right? While the passing of time tends to add wrinkles, pounds, and gray hairs, <laughs> a submissive wife actually gets more beautiful as the years go by because her hope in God and her abiding in Christ progressively turns her more and more into the image of Christ, which is beautiful. A submissive wife will be beautiful to her husband She'll be beautiful to others around her all of her life. And that is powerful, isn't it? But notice, not only will she be beautiful to her husband and beautiful to others around her, but in God's sight, the verse says, that kind of beauty is very precious. And as I studied this passage, I was just struck by the irony that we see in these verses, right? It's beautiful. He says, instead of pouring all your attention and effort into external beauty, which will eventually fade, focus on, notice it says, the hidden person of the heart. Cultivate your inner man, as scripture says, your inner person by abiding in Christ. And though it is hidden, right? He calls it the hidden person of the heart. Notice who sees it. God sees it. He says, which in God's sight is very precious. And just reminds us of what Scripture teaches. By nature, we're so concerned by what man sees on the outside, but God looks where? On the heart. And that's what he's reminding the Christian wives here. So this is a challenge to all of us, right? Again, all these different teachings of Scripture were popping in my head as I was writing the sermon, thinking like uh, 1 Timothy 4, where it says, physical training is of some value, right? (laughs) Adorning yourself, you know, physically has some value. It's fine. Be attractive. Be a good steward of your body. That's fine. But training for godliness has value for all things, both in this life and the life to come. And that's basically what Peter's saying. Focus your, your energy and your efforts primarily on the, in, the hidden person of the heart because that is far more valuable. Its beauty doesn't fade. It's going to have a huge impact on others around you 
and it brings glory to God. <laughs> it's precious in his sight. What an encouragement this is. I, I pray to wives, right? God sees. It's precious in his sight. God sees you trying to submit to your husband. God sees you encouraging him. God sees you being gentle and supportive, not perfectly, but, but, but as you fail, you confess your sins and you, and you ask God for help. He sees that. He sees you being a calming presence. He sees you trying to be a submissive wife, and it is precious in his sight. You are glorifying God through your submission. Lastly, then, let's consider the strength for submission. We see that in verses 5 and 6. We've seen how powerful it is, how beautiful it is. Where can a woman get strength for this? What does that look like? Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So what Peter does here is he gives Christian women an example of a godly woman of old who was submissive to her husband, Sarah, Abraham's wife. And it's interesting, Genesis 12 records that Sarah was physically beautiful, yet what Peter highlights is that Sarah adorned herself with the imperishable beauty of submission, even calling Abraham Lord. Now when did Sarah do that? In Genesis 18, Sarah overhears God tell Abraham that Sarah would bear Abraham a son by that time next year. And Genesis 12, or excuse me, Genesis 18:12 records, "So Sarah laughed to herself, am I worn after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?" Not not necessarily even Sarah's finest moment, by the way, but Peter highlights it as he points to this verse to show that Sarah respected her husband so much that even when Abraham wasn't in her presence, she was referring to him as Lord. Now that's an example. Peter's not teaching Christian wives to call their husbands Lord. I, I tried that with Melissa. It didn't go well, you know. Um, but he is holding up Sarah as an example of a wife who treated her husband with respect even when he was not around. That's... That's the principle for us. A wife who treated her husband with respect even when he was not around. So she's, that's why she's an example. And Peter explains how Sarah was able to do that. How Christian women of every generation will be able to respect their husband's leadership. It's by hoping in God. By hoping in God. Look at verse 5 again. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. So wives, if you submit to your husband, you are showing that you have placed your hope in God. Peter's point here is that Christian wives should focus on trusting God and not fearing the harm that is going to come to them, right? And this is true uh, not just for Christian wives. This is true for all Christians, that when we hope in God, as we trust in God's character and trust in God's promises, we don't need to fear. 
We kind of talked about that in our uh, Sunday school class a, a few months ago on fearing God. Right? As, as we increasingly delight in the Lord and as we are in awe of Him and as we meditate on who He is and what He's promised and what He's doing, it takes away our other fears. And that's what He's talking about in verse 6. And again, you see how all this ties together. What's, remember, what, what are women sinfully tempted to do? To control. Because we want to be in control, Right? If, I'm, if we feel like if, if I can be in control, then I don't have to worry about things not going the way that I want them to go or, or maybe things falling through the cracks or whatever. I don't have to. And he's saying, don't fear all that stuff. Trust God. He's given you your husband. God's in control. He sees. He's there. He knows everything that's happening. He's sovereign over every detail, right? Even the stuff your husband messes up. So just place your hope in God and you don't need to be afraid. That's what verses 5 and 6 are are teaching us. We know God loves us and that he's in control. Praise God. We know that God is good and wise and sovereign and faithful so we can trust him. We can trust God concerning the authority he has placed over us. We can trust God with the circumstances we are in. We can trust that he never leaves us or forsakes us and that he gives us the strength to do what he calls us to do. You see, as you're putting your hope in God, you're you're acknowledging your dependence on God. God, I need you. I know what you've called me to do and it's hard right now, you know. It's hard in this moment. God, please help me. Please help me. I trust you. And so may God help all of us to trust him, to delight in him, and to obey him by honoring and living out his design for marriage. And again, just a summary statement now. A submissive wife is a living display of the gospel to those around her. A submissive wife is a blessing to her husband, a godly example to others, and precious in God's sight. Now that is true beauty. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your good design. We praise you and thank you for um, life, for creating us in your image, for creating us male and female. We, we see just the wisdom in, in that design and how we, we do complement each other. And so we also thank you for, for marriage and how it's a gift you've given to to all mankind for human flourishing. And Lord, we certainly grieve over um, perversions of marriage and distortions of marriage we, marriages we see in our culture. But, but Lord, may you help us to be a display of your glory. May you help us as, as husbands and wives to increasingly live out your design for marriage. May you encourage our, our young people, Lord, with the, that marriage is good. Yes, it's, it's hard, but, but by God's grace, it can be a, a, a blessing to them and to others. Lord, please strengthen and encourage each one. Thank you for the, the, the good news, for the promise that You never call us to something without giving us the grace to do it.
And Lord, we, we need you. May, your, may you help us walk in the Spirit this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing a final song of praise.